Calcutta is only nine miles long, four miles wide, with 22 million people. See the congestion of this city. I, I remember asking Mark, what can a young couple do in this congested city? And I remember him saying, we can't, but God can. We started in a tent, bare piece of ground, and I'll never forget a beggar walked into our tent service, and in the middle of Mark's message, he screamed out these words, preacher, feed our bellies, and then try to tell us there's a God in heaven that loves us. He realized at that point we could not reach people lying on the streets of Calcutta and the poor and the poverty stricken in this huge city unless we had compassionate ministries. And so we started a feeding program, but it was at that time that Mother Teresa got to know about us and our interests in the feeding program. And she took us to the major garbage dump in Calcutta where all the garbage is thrown every day and burned every hour. And when we saw children jumping into the garbage for anything they may recycle or food to eat, our hearts broke and we said, no, we have to do something about this. We realized that there were so many poor children without education. We raised the money for the school, came back and built the school. And then we started going up class by class to the different sections of the school, grade by grade by grade. Pastor Mrs. Bantain have always had a special place for underprivileged children and the poor of the city. So we've always had also with us children who came from very poor homes but nobody knew who they were because everyone was treated the same. Everything got too small. We, um, we just had to get larger land. We searched and searched and couldn't find any land. And so finally one day Mark came home very excited and said, I found the land, an old cemetery. British have all gone. Kids are using it as a soccer field. And so we were able to get this huge piece of land, four blocks square, on Park Street. Our hospital was the first building that we constructed at Park Street property. And um, Mark was able to raise money just for the foundation and the first floor. But he always felt when he had the money to go ahead and God would supply the rest which used to worry me a lot. In fact, I would tease him, say he has the faith and I have the ulcers, because I did the accounts. But when we dug the foundation, we ran into a lake. Calcutta being so low, I think below sea level almost. And when we saw that water, the construction company said, you'll need pilings under this building. And it's going to be a six-storied building, so we have to have a lot of pilings. 
We didn't have the money for the palace at all. So Mark took a little Bible out of his pocket. He always carried a little Bible in the back of his pocket when he test, would witness to anybody who would open the Bible. And he asked them for a rope, and he tied the rope around the Bible. And the staff that we had at that time all held hands around the water. And I thought, what in the world is he going to do? And I think everybody else thought that also. And he let the rope down with the Bible into the water and said, now all of us pray together. And of course, he led in prayer that the water will recede into the ground so we can build our hospital because God wants us to treat the sick in this hospital because it'll be the greatest arm of evangelism that we have. And immediately, the water started to go down, 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 down. It took some time. I'll tell you, those builders, the contractors' eyes were like saucers watching that water go down. And today, our basement in our hospital is the driest basement of any of the buildings surrounding our hospital. After the hospital was finished, Dad had a tendency to um, pick up anybody he thought needed a hospital bed. Kind of drove some of the doctors crazy. But one time he picked up a person who he knew he was going to die. And he brought him into the hospital and he, I remember he just said, I know he's going to die. And in fact, one of the doctors said, Pastor, why are you bringing us a dead man? And he said, well, if nothing else, I want him to know that somebody loves him and he dies between clean sheets. And so he, they brought him in, they cleaned him up, they put him in bed, and uh, Dad was talking to him about Jesus and saying something you know, to him that, you know, that Jesus loves him. And in this particular situation, you know, this gentleman was obviously passing away, and he would say to him, you need to love Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you. And he looked up at him and he said, are you Jesus? He had never heard. He didn't even know, you know, so he got an opportunity to share to him who Jesus was. So they reflected Christ in everything that they did. It was not uh, just a show. It was very genuine and the compassion, the genuine love that they had for people was so outstanding uh, that I used to um, often tell them, you know, that I have not seen Jesus, but I have, I can tell you, I've definitely seen him in your lives. When Pastor Buntain was snatched away fairly very suddenly and the mantle of leadership fell upon Sister Halda, it was a huge burden upon her, not just because she had to pick up uh, the unfinished projects uh, that Pastor Buntain had, Pastor Mark had uh, initiated, but in a culture where uh, women are not given prominence. And in fact, at the time when she assumed leadership, there were very few, if any, women in India who were in ministry, 
and there was not even one lady who was ordained uh, to, to, to pastor. So she was the first woman of any nationality to be ordained as a pastor in the nation of India. And so it was quite an uphill challenge for her. But with time, as people began to see the anointing of God upon her life and the effectiveness of the way God used her, people began to accept her leadership. And Halda Bantain has been the backbone of all of this work. Uh, Mark Bantain passed away in 1989. And the world around us thought that the work would collapse and would stop. And it took a woman of God, a lady, who took one day at a time and has perhaps achieved much more in the last 15, 20 years than has been achieved in the previous uh, stint. And today we talk about 200 plus schools or 700 churches. I, I think this has been done because of relentless pursuit of Halda Bantain, who's been able to really walk the road and keep still walking the road on behalf of the mission. And so, you know, I look back 58 years and I think there was a time when a group of ministers came through here from Manila. They had held a big crusade in Manila. They took us out for dinner, told us how foolish we were to remain in Calcutta. They said, you know, you were promising you young evangelists in your country, and you're here in this dirty, filthy city. I mean, you're just burying yourself in this city, and you'll never be heard of again. I can remember those words so distinctly. You'll never be heard of again. And going home, I said to Mark, do you think that they're right? And I remember him saying, who brought us here? And I said, well, God brought us here. And he said, well, we'll leave when God tells us to. God be the glory, great things he has done. Not a tribute to us, but I think it was God's plan that we come at that time.
thank you, thank you. Good morning. <clears throat> so glad to be here with Pastor Aaron and Sister Tammy. And greetings to the Appleton and West as, uh, um, complexes, or what do you call them? Campuses, that's right, campuses. They are listening to me this morning, and I welcome them and the pastors of these two campuses. Now, I don't know how much you know about India, but India is now the largest democracy in the world, population over one billion people, soon will be larger than China. But India has improved tremendously in technology. But I don't think I have to tell you that, do I? Those of you who have computers, something goes wrong with your computer, you pick up the phone and you talk to India, right? Bangalore being the software capital of the world. But India is a very complex country because of the caste system. Now you say, what is a caste? A child's destiny is determined before they're even born. I remember when we first went to Calcutta and opened our school, they said, you can't educate a low-caste child. They don't have the mental ability to learn. But aren't you glad this morning that God is no respecter of persons? I walk into that hospital and see doctors, nurses through our nursing school, Children nobody cared about, the low caste, slums of Calcutta, pastors, teachers. What God has done in raising up a generation of leaders now. What to tell you about Calcutta? Poorest city in the world, nine miles long, four miles wide, with 22 million people. Visitors that come to see us say wall-to-wall -wall people, and that is true. But you know, there's one scripture in God's word. When I'm home from Calcutta, visiting churches every weekend, I love this scripture because it's so true. Proverbs 3.27, withhold not good from them who deserve it. When it is in the power of your hand to do it. I know this is a great missionary giving church, but I want you to know that everything you saw on the screen this morning would not be there if it hadn't been for churches like yours and across this great country supporting us, sacrificially giving and giving and giving that we may have a hospital, we may have those schools, we may have feeding programs to win people for Jesus Christ. Our churches today are built on compassionate ministries, and we are so grateful. And that's why I love that scripture so much. Well, 1954, a young couple, young evangelistic couple, Mark was a youth evangelist in this country, were invited to go to Calcutta for one year. Mark had just come back from the Orient. He had been six months in the Orient. And 15 months later, we got the invitation to go to India for one year. Well, you know, the Sunday before 
we boarded the ship. You know, in those days, missionaries took ship boats. First class, second class, missionary class. And before we <laughs> boarded that boat, uh, Mark preached in uh, glad tidings in downtown New York. And the pastor's wife was asked to close in prayer. And she prayed a very strange prayer. She called me to the platform. She said, now you stand beside your husband. She put her hand on both her shoulders, and she said, dear God, make this couple a blessing to India for years to come. And she drug out the years. Going home, I said to Mark, what does she mean years to come? We're only going for one year. But little did we know that God had different plans for us. We started in a tent, as you saw on the screen this morning, night after night. And then the monsoon rains came. It was too wet to hold meetings in a tent. And so we moved to an upstairs auditorium on the main street of Calcutta. And they had a nightclub underneath. And they said, hell downstairs, heaven upstairs. And it was two years, night after night after night after night after night. Souls were being saved. And then it was time to build a church, but no church had been built in Calcutta in 100 years. And the only property available was the property we'd held the tent meetings, owned by a Muslim family, and they weren't going to sell. But aren't you glad this morning that prayer changes things? One day that old Muslim man said to Mark, I don't know why I'm doing this, preacher. My family are all against me, but I'm going to sell you the land. Christmas Sunday, 1959. The first church was built in Calcutta in 100 years, and what rejoicing there was. But everything got too small. We built a school, got too small. We searched for property in congested Calcutta. We could not find anything. But one day Mark came home, and you know, if God told Mark something, nothing changed his mind. And he came home so excited. <clears throat> he said, I found the land. I said, where? On the main street of Calcutta. I said, impossible. We have searched the main streets of Calcutta. There's no land. Oh, yes, he said. And then he said, an old cemetery, four blocks square. I said, a what? A cemetery? You'll never get a cemetery to build a Christian hospital and Christian school and church. He said, no, we won't, but God will. God will give it to us, and he did. You know, Calcutta's night in Calcutta now. Services are over. We have eight congregations because every state in India has a different language. They come to Calcutta to get work. We took a survey of the eight most important languages. And today, do you know, over 5,000 people in eight congregations worshiped and praised God today. And so that's what I tell you this morning. Nothing is impossible with God. In fact, impossible is one of God's favorite words. But as we started to work in Calcutta, James chapter 2 became alive to us. How can you tell anyone God loves them when they have nothing to eat, no clothes to wear, no comforts of this life? Can you tell a man lying with his family on the streets of Calcutta? Do you know one million children 
live on the streets of Calcutta. Can you tell him God loves you? He'll tell him, turn around and say, nobody loves us. You heard on the screen, the beggar came to our service. Middle of Mark's message, feed our bellies and then tell us God loves us. A little girl fainted in our classroom. Mark said to her, when did you eat last, darling? She said, I don't know. I can't remember. Rushed her to a city hospital, two in the bed, two under the bed. Came home that day with tears in his eyes. I will not only educate these children, but I'm going to feed them and medically treat them. Education. We started our first school. Only 200 students. And last year, January, we had our 50th anniversary. Oh, what a celebration we had. The alumni came over 700 from around the world. And I met those alumni students. And you know, one of them told me, he said, we may forget all the academic subjects we learned, but we'll never forget chapel services and Pastor Buntain's messages. They changed our lives. Investment in lives. 50 years. At the same time, a newspaper article came. A marketing research group came to Calcutta to, to pick out or to survey the most important schools, the best schools in Calcutta. And you know, the front page of the paper at our 50th anniversary, on the day of the anniversary, our school was fourth out of 170 schools. Three schools above us were built in 1800s, and we were only 50 years old. And under our picture of our school said, this school had a humble beginning with 200 students. But today, because of social justice and moral values, which is the Bible that we have taught them every day, they have built a better India by building better boys and girls. That's what God can do. When we first opened our school, they called us the slum school because we had poor children. And now, on the front page of the paper, we are fourth out of 170 schools, the Assembly of God Church School. But you know, hunger, feeding. In our lines, 25,000 a day in our schools and our street feeding programs. I have a lovely lady traveling with me, and she'll be at the book table. I have two books, Pathway to the Impossible and Woman of Courage. I want you to read those books because they will, uh, they will encourage you to have miracles in your own life. But more than that, that book, $10 each, feeds a child for 10 days. I just came home the end of June from Calcutta. I walked in those feeding lines and saw those children. Families, only meal they get in the whole day. And dear ones, as you read the book, not only read it, but pray for the family you're feeding. Because everything we do is to win that family for Jesus Christ. And then our hospital. What an arm a 
of evangelism. Five chaplains going from bed to bed every day, winning dear, poor people. No one loves them. No one cares. Leading them to Christ. Leukemia is one of our worst killers. 500 children having blood transfusions every month. Cleft palates. One out of every 700 children born in India has a cleft palate condition. I have never seen faces like this. I walked into a ward one day, saw a lady, a mother sitting next to her child, tears running down her face. I pulled up a chair, put my arm around her. Mother, what's wrong? And all she did was this. I looked down and saw a child. I knew the problem. If a child is born with a deformity like a cleft palate condition or crippled, that family is cursed in their villages. Why? Reincarnation, they believe the curse goes from generation to generation to generation. The latest ministry we have under our hospital are rural clinics. In the villages where we cannot build a church, we couldn't even open a Christian school. We started a clinic. And when we get the favor of the villagers, do you know what happens? The doctor's table becomes the pastor's pulpit. And on Sunday, we have church. And I knew that lady was from that village where we had started the rural clinic. And I said, Mother, Tomorrow, your little girl will be wheeled out of the operating room with a beautiful face. We kept her in our hospital for dental work. And then I said, take that little girl home and tell those people in your village what Jesus has done for you. And do you know the next Sunday, our clinic was full, packed with people wanting to know what Jesus has done for that little child this is the testimony of our hospital this morning. I tell you, it is marvelous. We have a blind school. I saw the blind in Calcutta begging. No one wants a blind child. That's the worst curse. Bring them in. Give them a little tin can all over in front of hotels, restaurants. You'll find children begging. I have 200 children in the blind school. We started with seven children. Today we have 200 boys and girls, and they love to sing. Five of those children were operated on in our hospital. I said to the doctor, will they see? She said, sis, some better than others. When the bandages were taken off those children's eyes, I'll never forget it. They looked up at light for the first time. Hindi, light is butty. And all they could say was butty, butty, butty. And then they loved the song, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. And that day, that song became a reality to those five children. We held hands in the hospital and sang, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. This is what Jesus can do. This is what your missionary offerings can do. 
release children that no one loved and no one cared. And now, after our education, they become leaders in our mission. Doctors, nurses, teachers. When I go back to Calcutta, it's thrilling for me to see the initiative that they are taking in the leadership of our mission. Mother Teresa was a lovely little lady. She brought all her patients to our hospital. In fact, our doctors treated her till she died. And just before she became very ill, I was in the hospital with her. She had brought a child. And we were talking about the poor of Calcutta. And I said to her mother, there are so many that need help. And she turned around and she said these words to me I'll never forget. She said, it's not how much you do, but how much love you put in the doing that counts. I said, Mother, do you mean if we don't put Jesus' love in our doing that counts, it's all in vain? She said, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Then she took my hand in her 87-year-old hand, and she opened my fingers one by one, and she said, when you help the poor, you do it unto Christ. I want you to know, dear ones, this morning, your missionary offerings, signing your faith promises, giving your offerings, you'll never, never, ever see the one that you help. But you know, God keeps the best records. God keeps the best records. And that missionary offering, going across the waters, going across the ocean, going into the India, helping these precious children. And you know, one of our graduates from our blind school is now an evangelist to the blind. He married a girl from our blind school, one of those girls that was operated on. She's partially seeing now. And they're going from village to village, preaching to the blind, telling them what Jesus has done for them and what he can do for the blind. I love Matthew 9:26. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. For doing does not count until love motivates it. And loving does not count unless doing demonstrates it. You can't love Jesus without doing something about it. Prostitution. 10,000 girls sold into prostitution on the outskirts of Calcutta. One day we were surprised that those wicked people came to our hospital and asked if we would build a hospital or clinic in the middle of the red light area. What an opportunity. You just cannot get in there to witness to the girls. You just cannot get in there just like that. And now, every day we have a clinic in the middle of that red light area and the young girls are finding Jesus and coming out of prostitution. Right now, a Hope House is being built in Calcutta. My daughter is very influential in getting this done. And a Hope House for the children from these prostitute mothers. We're taking the children away from that den of iniquity and give, putting them in a Hope House and educating them and loving them and caring for them. 
As soon as the Hope House is finished, 50 girls will come out. And isn't that wonderful that we will be able to have them uh, to love and care for? Nobody loves them. Nobody cares for them. They are traumatized. But they'll have education and love and care. My daughter was in the red light area one day when a 16-year-old girl with tears running down her face said, I was 12 when I came here. I'm now 16. I don't know how many abortions I had. Children don't deserve to suffer. I wish I had time to tell you the testimonies of these girls. I told you we were in 11 states of India. When our Calcutta ministry grew, we found the states around our state of West Bengal unevangelized. And today I'm too glad to tell you that in 11 states, we have 700 and now 900 churches. Saw 700 on the screen, but now it's 900 churches in these areas. Seven of those states was in Northeast India. I went up there for a pastor's conference. Spoke to th over 300 pastors. Wonderful young men. And the general superintendent, a graduate from our Bible school, said to me, Auntie, I'm going to take you somewhere you've never been before. I said, where? He said, north of in the state of Nagaland, which we were, is the largest cemetery in the Eastern world. When the Japanese were coming from Burma, the largest battle was fought in that area. I couldn't believe it. Canadian graves, American graves, English graves, thousands. But as I walked into that cemetery, there was a large arch. And on that arch was written these words, go home and tell them we gave our today for their tomorrow. I stood under that arch. I said, oh God. Over 50 years now in India, we have given thousands of children, not only a today, but a tomorrow. And then I thought of a grave in Calcutta. Mark died so suddenly overnight. I stood by that grave in Calcutta, and the culture is that you have to stand till it's full, shovel by shovel. I said, God, I don't understand. Why? I felt such a load of responsibilities. I said, 35 years we have now been in this country. We only came for one year. 35 should be enough. Have you ever argued with God? I did. But you know, the worship team started to sing that beautiful song, Love So Amazing, So Divine, Demands My Life, My Soul, My All. I said, God, if you help me, and you have to help me, I will stay. I will carry on. And I want you to know this morning that the work has grown in all the 11 states, not only in Calcutta, but in all of the 11 states. Go home and tell them we gave our today for their tomorrow.
Can I ask you this morning what you're doing with your today? We live in a me, myself, and I world. God has been so good to us. But you know, if we give to missions, God pays the best investments. Investments are here today and gone tomorrow. But when you invest in the kingdom of God, it pays the best dividends. Because money is the currency of men, but faith is the currency of God. You can't outgive God when you give to missions. He will bless your home. He will bless your family. He will prosper you because it's his word. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Love so amazing, so divine, demands our lives, our soul, our all. They ask me sometimes on television, what do you think is your greatest accomplishment and I unhesitatingly say, investment in lives. Investment in lives. When I see children that were poor from the busties in the slums of Calcutta, now preaching the gospel, now working in our hospital as doctors and nurses. I fly so much. I got to Calcutta, there was something wrong with my ear. I said to the nurse, take me to an ear specialist. Oh, yes, she said, we've got a new one, and he's very good. She took me down to the outpatients where he was sitting. She knocked on the door. Dr. Bhattacharya, I want you to meet the president of our mission. He walked toward me, got up from his chair with tears in his eyes. He said, I don't have to meet you, Auntie. I met you when I was five years of age. My dad, my father brought my brother and I to you with rags, no shoes on our feet. You took us into school. You clothed us. You fed us. I graduated from this school through junior college, and I got a scholarship to medical school. And I prayed every day, God, help me to pass these subjects. Can I go back to that hospital and treat the poor? I said, Dr. Bhattacharya. And I called him by his first name, Shadir. When you treat all those patients waiting for you, do you think of yourself? Yes, he said. Yes, every day. That's what it means. That's what it means. Your mission dollars sponsoring children. And now a doctor in our hospital. I wondered what the scripture meant. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Till I read the revised version that said, those that are inconspicuous here shall be heroes there. I said, thank you, God. Those are the partners with us. You are partners. Partnership in this great mission. Giving and giving. And we thank you for your offerings. They mean so much to us. Inconspicuous to the world, but not inconspicuous to God. Walked into Hallmark's store one day to buy a birthday card. Looked up in the wall, and there was a slogan there. I said, Mr. Hallmark, whoever you are, I'm going to steal that slogan for missions. And you know what it said? If you love enough, you give your best. 
if you love enough, how much do you love Jesus this morning? To give a child a tomorrow? To buy a book to feed a child 10 days? Many out there are waiting for the gospel. It's been a wonderful privilege to speak to you this morning. Those of you in the West and Appleton uh, complexes, or what uh, you call them, what do you call them? <laughs> yes. But it's been wonderful to speak to you this morning and to share what God has done in Calcutta. Thank you, and God bless you.